Hey guys, this is Mike Mahaffey, the old bastard BJJ guy, here for BJJ Mental Models. Back in my day, we had to walk uphill in the snow both ways to get to the academy just to learn some crappy technique from a random purple belt. You kids have it so easy, because now you can just subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium and get tons of great audio courses to learn new techniques, enhance your mindset, and entertain yourself. You can even get personalized rolling reviews from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now, get off my lawn, and go train. BJJ Mental Models, episode 271. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And this week, we're rolling again with Christina Barlon. How's it going, Christina? Welcome back. Going good. Thank you for having me again. Always a pleasure. Been a while since we chatted. Uh, last time you were on here, we talked about one of the nastiest submissions I can think of, the bow and arrow choke. This time, of course, we got kind of a broader topic still related to jujitsu, but maybe not as directly. That said, though, since it's been a while, do you want to maybe give yourself a quick introduction for the audience so they know who you are? Of course. Um, Christina Barlon, second degree black belt, uh, Professor Kayoteha. Been in this sport for, I'll be going on 17 years this year. And actually, I should be up for receiving my third degree this year as well, too. So been a while, you know, jujitsu is just a big part of my life and has been a big uh, changing force in my life as well, too. So love sharing that with everybody in uh, different facets of my life. So um, always a pleasure to share. Well, since we're digging into your life here, that's very much the topic of the day. Uh, this episode topic came about when you posted recently on your social about battling depression and anxiety in jujitsu. This is a very common topic um, that comes up a lot amongst high-performance athletes in the sport. Uh, many, many people that I've talked to on this podcast have expressed that they battle with depression and anxiety, especially competitors. We've done episodes, for example, with Amanda Bruce, David Lay about these exact topics. And I think that because it is so common, it never hurts to dig into this deeper. You've spoken very openly about your experiences in this sport and how that impacts your mental health and the relationship between them. So with that said, um, you said that you wanted to discuss high-functioning anxiety in jiu-jitsu. I mean, I'll turn it over to you here. Go ahead. You know, Maybe we can kind of give a quick intro, talk about how things have been and what those battles look like. Yeah. So high-functioning anxiety is like, it's just kind of like a, I guess, like a subgenre. It would be like the best word to describe it. Right. Because there's no actual like diagnosis for high functioning anxiety. You just get diagnosed with like general anxiety. Right. But like high functioning anxiety would be kind of like that part of it where it doesn't look like you have anxiety, but you do. Right. And that's why it's so prevalent, especially with high level athletes, you know, high level competitors in particular, just because it's like usually when you have like certain levels of anxiety, it's pretty debilitating. Right. When it gets the stress levels get really high. Uh, when it's at its worst, it becomes very hard to do anything, right? Um, you can think about like socializing, even going out to do groceries, going out to events, going to work. All of these things can become increasingly difficult to do when you are like just with anxiety, right? Now, for those who have high functioning anxiety, it's kind of like instead of being debilitated by the anxiety, it's almost used to like power through. So, 
Um, it's really common with, I guess, not just with high level athletes, but just successful people in general, right? All of, I guess, you could say if it's, if we are looking at anxiety as like energy, it's like all that energy just kind of gets compressed and gets put into do, doing something productive, which, you know, if you say it like that, like, oh, I guess it's not that bad, but it gets bad because then we get things like burnout and then we get things like, trying to push beyond our limits and going past our capacities because a lot of the times this high functioning anxiety can be brought up by like feelings of not being good enough so we have to try harder and do more and train harder and we have to outperform and, and overperform and we have to overfunction we always have to do more because we're trying to i guess meet unnecessarily high expectations right and those expectations could have those can be like perceived or real or maybe they're being put onto us by other people right in a competitive atmosphere that could be our coaches that could be our teammates and a lot of this can also stem from even childhood if you think about like if you were in um, a household where um, you are expected to perform a certain way so now your value as person is now based off of what you can like achieve right so if you're not getting a's or if you're not winning at tournaments or if you're not being successful in everything then that means you're not a good person or you're not valuable so it's like this fear right and that kind of like powers everything so it gets pretty dark and pretty negative fairly quickly right so there's i guess like the positive aspect of it where like okay we get stuff done but at what cost is this happening? And yeah, I think a lot of people would be surprised by with how many high-level athletes go through this, whether they talk about it or not, right? Because a lot of times too, because there is so much stigma behind mental health, it's really easy for those to think like, oh, I don't have anxiety. I'm just being a wuss. I am just being lazy. And so kind of like redirecting and not actually like, we're diminishing actually our pain we're diminishing actually our experience like and we're trying to like gaslight ourselves and in, into thinking that we're, we aren't actually anxious or we aren't stressed or we aren't operating under these conditions so it can get pretty dangerous for many but it again it goes on unnoticed most of the time because it's happening to people who are very 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 successful so i don't think people typically relate anxiety with success in the ways of like oh well this person is always talking with people and they do really great seminars and they're so personable and they're relatable and it doesn't even look like they have anxiety but a lot like underneath the mask it's like a million thoughts per second and we're all just trying to control it we're all just trying to be in control and ultimately we are not and that's also another aspect of it too is trying to remain in control when things like sometimes we just have to let go we can't because but my value and gold medals and people aren't going to like me if I don't win. So yeah, it, it's a, I wouldn't say it's an epidemic within the jujitsu community, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't think people talk about it enough or admit it enough when they should. I know, I know I didn't admit it right away. I'm really glad that you're bringing this up because like you said, I think that even though things have gotten significantly better in the jiu-jitsu space in regards to people being willing to speak up about this kind of stuff, there's still kind of a, I think, a fear of explaining uh, how you feel and, and sharing those deep inside feelings. Uh, now, before we go any further, I mean, I do want to just always make sure that people understand the goal here is not to provide any medical advice or to help yes. people self-diagnose, right? I mean, I have 
no medical background. I'm just a jujitsu idiot on the internet. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure that you also don't have a medical background as well, right? No, I have <laughs> the only medical background I have is in animal medicine. So definitely I'm not a mental health professional. None of this should be taken like, oh yeah, she's telling, she's diagnosing me. No, 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 no. I'm simply sharing my experience. So please, I would say take it with a grain of salt, but please understand that I'm just sharing my experience. You might fight similarities, but by all means, like if you feel like you're struggling with like mental health issues, you need to see a mental health professional or seek out a therapist or seek out people or resources where they are trained and certified and licensed or however way you want to word it, that is their sole purpose is to provide that information and that treatment or whatever that direction. I am not a medical professional at all. So, and I would never, ever claim to be. So yes, thank you for for adding that because otherwise I would have forgotten. <laughs> I just always want to add that because I know in the jujitsu community, we all have a tendency to kind of self-diagnose ourselves. I'm pretty sure 80% of the jujitsu community has already diagnosed themselves with autism, for instance. And so I just don't want people to think that, that we're on here, you know, offering medical advice here. The purpose of this chat is to share experience and to ultimately send the message that people are not alone. It is okay to have these problems. A lot of people have these battles. There are things you can do. There is support that you can get. And maybe just to kind of make people understand that they're not off on an island there. I can say from my experience, kind of moving into the broader jujitsu sphere, you know, for a long time, I basically just trained at my home gym and didn't really make a deliberate effort to go out there and, and network. I was kind of just doing jujitsu for fun. Of course, BJJ Mental Models has kind of led to me as this thing has grown, connecting with a bunch of elite athletes around the world, yourself included. And the one thing that has been very much a surprise to me is the sheer number of people who experience significant bouts of depression and anxiety, especially high-level competitors in jiu-jitsu. It is absolutely a lot more common than I think many people will think. Some people are understandably not yet comfortable kind of discussing these battles internally. So this has happened many times where these things have caught me off guard, where, you know, I get to talk to a hero of mine and then I find out they'll tell me off the record all of their personal struggles with their mental health. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just, it's a bit of a shock because up until this point, most of my interactions with these people have been following them on Instagram and watching their highlight reels and they look like unstoppable warriors. But then when you actually get to talk to them and unpack who they really are and what's going on in their heads, you realize, oh shit, these people are just like the rest of us, right? In fact, maybe even more so because the pressure of being a professional jujitsu competitor is very different from the pressure of a lot of other walks of life, right? I mean, I've said on the podcast before, one of the things that's tough about being a pro competitor is if you want to actually pay the bills doing that, you got to be in the top 0.1%. The performance expectations in that job are very, very high. I mean, in a lot of other walks of life, you know, if you want to be a, a carpenter, look, as long as you're in the top 50%, you'll probably make a decent living, right? A lot of professional jobs work like that. But the feast or famine and the professional expectations on a pro jujitsu competitor, it's very easy to understand why depression and anxiety are so rampant in a sport like this. Yeah. I mean, again, like I was one of those who uh, completely based my value off of how I performed as an athlete, right? So my value as a person uh, was completely dependent on my wins and my losses. And of course, that's going to lead, like, if you take someone who already has depression, like, diagnosed with depression, and now you're going to give, like, now I'm in a highly competitive um, atmosphere or environment, 
and where you're constantly, I say putting yourself at risk, but you're constantly like putting yourself at like a, at the edge or the precipice of like what your limits are like mentally. Like you're always challenging yourself. And depending on where you are with how you view yourself. And again, like if you're like me, who is like completely dependent on results, that's just going to like further push you off the edge. You know, like it's not just, oh, I'm sad, right? Depression isn't just, oh, I'm sad, right? I feel like I want to cry. No, it's like I can't even get out of bed. I can't taste or enjoy the food I'm eating. Colors don't look like colors. Everything is like muted. It's like, like there's no joy. There's no excitement. It's like flavorless, I guess. I don't know. Like there's different forms. And it's different for everybody. Everybody experiences it in different ways. And then you think about like the physical manifestations of that where like your body literally just feels heavy and you just never feel like you can ever get enough rest because you just feel so tired. And then you feel the guilt because you're not doing enough. And, and it's just like you can just never win, right? And then now think of all of that and then you try to like force your body to perform a certain way. You have one bad day on the mat or you have one performance and immediately it's like, well, I suck and I don't deserve to even be here. I don't deserve to be on the mat. I don't deserve to receive instruction. I don't deserve to have people being nice to me or kind to me. I am a waste of space. It's so easy to go this way because we're already judging and criticizing ourselves. It's not even logical, right? We could look at like factually what is in front of us and like, oh, we're doing really, really well. But it, that's just our brain just really hates us sometimes. And it just really tries to like drive those in. And it's going to look for external experiences to validate what's going on in your mind. So it can get very bad. It's a reason why like it's so important that we talk about things like, you know, like suicide prevention because yes, and especially if you feel like there's a like a spotlight on you, it's even harder because yes, really good athletes or high-level athletes, a lot of us like we get put on these pedestals and it's like, oh, they could never do wrong and they're doing everything right. And it's like sometimes I get really tired of people telling me, oh, you're so strong. You're so brave. Honestly, I know it comes from a good place. It's always from a well-intentioned good place. But sometimes it's like, man, I just want to cry. And I just want someone to just say like, oh, yeah, that's really difficult. You know, thank you for sharing or thank you for your vulnerability. But I'm so tired of being the strong one. Right. I just want to fall apart and have a safe space to do that. And when you feel all the eyes are on you, it doesn't necessarily feel safe to do that, especially if you feel that your value or your position will be threatened by that admittance of weakness or that admittance of vulnerability or that admittance of feeling less than. So it's it's always kind of like that the risk that we feel that is there when really it's just being created in our minds. And who you know what? A lot of it, it could be there too. Maybe you are not in the best training environment where you do have coaches or you have teammates who are not being the most supportive and who are being a bit toxic or kind of pushing in a way. And again, that could be purposefully or it could be like them not knowing because that's just how they came up as well too. So it's sometimes it's like having to step back, which is really, really difficult. And like, man, am I actually in a good environment right now? And, and that's like a whole different topic that you know, could be a whole other episode probably too. I mean, bad training environments do exist and they can be very detrimental to not just your performance, but also your well-being and your, and your, not just your mental health, just your health in general, right? Absolutely. I mean, I have spoken many times on the podcast about how my, my first jujitsu gym honestly was a really bad training environment and I didn't realize it until 
you know, two something years in and it, it was very hard to leave. I can only imagine how much harder it would have been if I was in one of those really toxic environments that you hear about. It is a real problem in the jujitsu community. And something you touched on there that I think is very important is just how important it is to have a safe space to be open and talk about these things and be vulnerable. Jiu-jitsu is a, fundamentally, it is an individual combat sport. So there's always going to be this desire for people in the sport to be individualistic and rugged and self-sufficient. And I think sometimes that kind of mindset makes it hard for people to speak openly about these things because they don't want to be perceived as, you know, being less than. I think a lot of people see it as a a knock against themselves if they're battling with their mental health, but it really isn't, right? I mean, we all have our own battles, both physically and mentally. And if you are battling with your mental health, you are absolutely not an anomaly. I think if there's one thing I noticed since the pandemic is that, look, a lot of us are very, very vulnerable to this. And I mean, there's certain people in the jujitsu community who have been very vocal about spearheading this, talking openly about their mental health and showing that kind of vulnerability, yourself being one of them, Andrew Wiltsey being another person who has been tremendously courageous and a, just a complete open book about his battles with mental health. And that stuff matters, right? You see a role model who comes out and talks about the stuff and then you realize that it's okay for me to do the same, I think having that kind of leadership where people show that it's okay to talk about the stuff is super important for the ongoing health of the sport. Because like you said, you know, we don't want our athletes to be suffering like this in silence, right? We really don't want everyone who's choosing to do this as a job to be hating every moment of it. it it's supposed to be fun. And if there's anything that we as a community can do to help our athletes, I think it, it behooves us to do so. But that can only happen if we talk openly about what we're dealing with. Exactly. Right. I think people forget that before I was the black belt at the center of a room, you know, teaching techniques or, you know, speaking openly at a seminar, I was just a white belt in the room, in the crowd, looking at the person in the center. Like, that's where we all started. Like, no one, no one starts off as the black belt, you know, and leading rooms of hundreds of people. No one starts off that way. Everyone starts off as just another body on the mat. And I think sometimes we for, kind of forget that or like we lose that perspective. Oh man, like we, we see the end result and we forget about the process that it took to get there or even that individual's you know journey or their process to get there. It's really easy to just see the successes and like, look, this person, you know, they showed up, they trained and then they won some things and now here they are, they're a black belt. <laughs> like, yeah, if only it was just that simple. And I, you know what? I'm really, really glad that, you know, people are talking about it a lot more. You know, like you've had Erin Hurley on here before. And, and I know she, like, you know, she talks about it. Like, again, she's one of my best friends, very, very passionate about what she does. And, and specifically, not just mental health, but like mental health and jujitsu. And, and again, like now she's doing her mental coaching thing because, again, like that is such an important part that is not being addressed enough. Okay. Even if you wanted to take like the mental health aspect of it, and you just wanted to turn it into just the training aspect, right? The performance aspect of it. If you're not getting through the mental training part while going through a hard camp or in preparation for a big event, you are, it's a disservice to yourself. You're only going to be able to perform at a fraction of your actual capacity because there's always going to be a part that's going to be limited. Like you can push yourself physically as much as you want, but ultimately there's still going to be those ankle weights keeping you back because there's going to be some sort of mental part that's going to be inhibiting you. Again, whether you're aware of it or not. I know that before I did any type of mental training and, and we're not even talking about, again, mental health so much, but just like the mental aspect of like 
how can I perform with confidence and how can I go out there? Which, I mean, eventually does touch on mental health things. But that whole process was just like, I had to admit that I was afraid of losing and I had to admit that like, I need help. And nobody wants to admit that. You were absolutely correct. You're like, yeah, this is a solitary sport. When, you know, how many times have you heard that like, no one's going to come to the rescue. It's just you and your opponent and nobody can help you when you're out there. It's just, you know, you got to figure it out on your own. And so we make it like, well, that means I can ask my teammates for help and or if I ask for too much help, then eventually they're not going to want to work with me because I'm just going to be too much. I'm too high maintenance or I'm too much of a problem, right? When I was a purple belt, and this is when I actually started, that's when I actually started talking more openly about mental health and like talking about my traumatic experiences in my life and how that brought me to jujitsu and how jujitsu ended up essentially saving my life. Like it, purple belt is, that was the time when I was, I don't, I just need to train harder. I just need to do private lessons. I just need to study video and I just need to study technique and I just need to suck it up and stop complaining and stop being lazy and I'm being really, really unreasonable and that's what I need to do. I don't need to do any mental training and I don't need to address any issues because I don't have any issues because I grew up in performing arts and I am a natural performer and so I am not nervous. I am not anxious. I am not scared of anything. I'm just being weak. That was my mindset all the way up until like I started performing badly and I almost quit competitively as a purple belt. And then I was having panic attacks after losses. And, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do the damn training because any that's admitting that I am scared has got to feel better than what I'm feeling right now, which is, you know, feeling like I'm going to die and feeling like I want to die. That was a really big one there, too. It's always a big one. Like I struggle with intrusive thoughts all the time, every day. And it's it's really hard to like get out of that and get out of myself. And so no one ever wants to admit these things out loud because they sound so scary. And again, it's really like putting yourself out there and you don't want people to look at you as like this broken thing, right? Like, oh, this she's so broken. We don't want to be around her. You know, she's so negative. She's such a downer. Let's separate ourselves from her. And again, like if you were treated that way at a younger age, which I was, for sure, that made me want to hide my wounds that much more. Um, I had it said to me before that I'm kind of like a cat and very cat. I will hide my wounds even though I am on the precipice of dying. I'll crawl into a hole and stay there rather than actually ask for help. You know, luckily, obviously, I made it out of the hole and I'm licking my wounds in public now as opposed to in private, but it's still difficult. So I'm hoping that whoever is listening to this is like, yeah, it's okay to ask for help. And it's okay to say that you're scared. It's okay to say that you're feeling these things. But again, you have to have the right people or at least like prep people sometimes. And that's hard too, you know? Not everybody does have a safe space to retreat to. Not everybody has a safe person that they can talk to. And that's where seeking professional help comes in because again, these are paid professionals who it is their job to help you. So whether it's going to be, again, like somebody close or a professional, seek it out. Because otherwise, again, best case scenario, you feel bad for yourself and maybe you just don't train for a little bit and it takes you some time to get back to the mats. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is there's loss of life. And that's absolutely what we don't want to have happen, right? So you want to stay away from the worst case scenario as much as possible because it is always something that could happen. And again, the suffering and silence does not help at all. And so as much as I can scream from the mountaintops, like as much as I can, just talk about it, get help. Or again, even if you're not the place where suicide is an issue, just knowing that you are speaking openly and not denying that it is a thing is going to be a huge beacon of light for someone who is having that problem. And again, you're never going to know like how deep the impact of your words and your actions are going to be 
until actually someone comes up to you and tells you. I know that's how it's been for me. Like there are days where, again, I feel like I don't want to exist anymore. And then I talk about it because, again, like I don't want to be in a dark hole licking my wounds by myself, you know, dangerous wounds where like, man, I could die. Right. I don't want to do that by myself. So it's really hard to do that. But I have to say something because, again, you never know, like someone's going to see that. And then now it's not just me by myself. Now it's me and another person. And then it's going to be another person, another person, another person, another person. So don't, I guess, believe the illusion. I won't say illusion because it's not like we're trying to lie to you. It's not like we're trying to hide everything with the success. But sometimes it gets really easy to miss it because there's so much good things happening. But again, sometimes the light outshines the shadows sometimes. But again, sometimes the brighter the light, the darker the shadow that is cast. So we've got to look at that too. Yep, definitely. Something I've been quite critical about on the podcast here is just the tendency of jujitsu people to post these like very rugged, macho, individualistic memes on their social media. You know, I, I'm sure that you see a lot of pictures of like lions and tigers and samurai and talking about how, you know, challenge is great because it makes you stronger. And I mean, yes, all of that is true, of course, but challenge is only good if it tests you rather than completely breaking you. If you are completely overwhelmed, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to admit that there is a level of challenge that is more than you can bear by yourself. You know, the old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, that's not really true. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not really true that what doesn't kill you makes you stronger because what if it maims you? What if it just absolutely destroys you, right? I mean, not all um, challenge is going to lead to growth. Sometimes it can send you in the wrong direction and it's okay to ask for help. And I always worry that this propensity of these like rugged memes that we see in the jujitsu community, I worry they give people the wrong idea that, you know, they kind of make it look like if you're struggling, well, that just means you need to try harder. And that's not always the remedy, right? I mean, yes, that's important, especially if you want to succeed as a competitor, but the solution is not always just to try harder. Sometimes if the problem involves anxiety or depression, you need to reach out to your support group and get their help as well. So that's just something that I'm a little bit critical about when it comes to the way people talk about jujitsu. I think that trying to make it look like it's, it's all about just being tougher, that unfortunately downplays the importance of vulnerability. I mean, nothing really is tougher than being willing to show vulnerability. And that's something that people in jujitsu often don't understand. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like you think about it when I'm playing guard. And I say this a lot. I say that when I'm playing guard, I want to stay safe. So I'm going to, you know, keep my frames in. I want to, you know, I want to keep like my knees a certain way. You know, I want to protect my hips. And then when I'm teaching passing, I'm like, look, I'm trying to open all of this space up because I want to expose the soft underbelly. And they say that jokingly, but, but but there's like also some truth to that is, yeah, in jujitsu, nobody wants to show their soft underbelly, right? Like nobody wants that exposed. We're always trying to keep our core and our, our frames together because that's where we're going to be strongest, right? There's a reason why, you know, we spend nine months in the womb in the fetal position. And then whenever we feel threatened or a lot of times when we're in pain, the first thing that we're going to do to is retreat into the fetal position because it is a very strong, safe position. And I get a joke a lot or, you know, Professor Kyle actually says it a lot where like when you're playing guards, like be the ball, be the ball. Right. So in my head, I'm like, yeah, fetal position, be the ball. Right. You're going to be like this strong, round, you know, like shape that has, again, that can take a lot of pressure. So, yeah, I can understand like, yeah, you just got to be tough and don't show your underbelly. Right. Because somebody's trying to get to your underbelly. So you got to, you know, someone's trying to pass your guard. So you got to protect your underbelly. And yeah, you don't need to try harder. Sometimes you just need to try less. Try less. Try that. Because again, with high functioning anxiety, the tendency, like one of the biggest things that like is a standout for those with high functioning anxiety is the need to overperform, to overfunction. So 
that immediately just says everything. We are trying way too hard. You're doing way too much. Instead of resting, instead of giving us our space to like decompress or to have time to like recharge your spirit or your soul, or your mind, because if everything is jujitsu and training and get 1% better every single day, no matter what, you're burning the candlestick at both ends. Again, burnout is inevitable. It's not about if it's going to happen, it's going to be when it's going to happen, right? Because you are literally doing too much. And we do too much because, oh, your opponent is probably training right now. And you think your opponent is taking rest rounds? No, they're training. It's that toxic mentality. You know, someone else is doing better than you right now. So you need to do more. Like, well, shit, I don't control everybody else. I can only control myself. And right now, I kind of need, you know, take a shower and I kind of need to take some electrolytes and I probably need a massage. And I should probably see a physical therapist or someone to do some form of body work on me because my body is absolutely wrecked. You know, I should probably take a time to like have an actual good meal. I know I have to stay on a diet, but you know what? There should be some allowances for me to have something that nourishes me. And you know what? Maybe I should go watch a movie or take a walk instead of reviewing all these like videos of other people training and telling myself that. I'm not good because that person is having this great performance, right? Stop trying to do more when you're already doing more than you can handle. Stop putting more on your plate. Just stop it. (laughs) And again, it's hard to do it if you feel you need to meet expectations or you need to perform in order to validate yourself. You need to have results to validate your personal value, right? Really need to take the time to step away because again, that's where a lot of it happens. Again, it starts off, you could just have regular, I don't say regular old anxiety, you know, the general kind, right? And then you have the kind where it's like, you can't get out of bed because everything is is scary. People don't understand this too. It's like, I am struggling with high-functioning anxiety because people see me working and I'm smiling and I'm teaching. I teach six days a week, 23 classes a week I teach, right? I'm in front of people all the time. And I struggle terribly with social anxiety. In jujitsu, it's fine because I have a task to complete, right? There's a goal. There is a job to be done. And so I take all the anxiousness I have and I put the mask on and I put that in towards having the best class I can give or giving the best instruction I can do or being personal, being friendly and, and talking with new students or talking with the new parents or whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, I'm burnt out. I have zero energy for myself and and I just want to lay there. And can you imagine, I give myself the space to relax nowadays, but if I can imagine that I had the same mentality from maybe at the lower belts where I get home and instead of actually resting and saying that I'm tired and like, wow, that was a really, really stressful day, I'm telling myself, no, I need to study some more because otherwise somebody else is going to be better than me. And then they're going to receive the love and adoration or the admiration and they're going to receive the roses and not me, right? Like, do less. (laughs) Try less. (laughs) Don't try harder. Try less. Again, we're not trying to say to be lazy. And again, I could almost guarantee you, you are not being lazy by taking a rest day. 99.9% sure that you are not being lazy. I am 99.9% sure that you are overworked and you have a lot on your plate and you haven't given yourself the ability to rest because you make yourself feel guilty for doing so. And that is something that we need to address and work on and really, really talk more about because 
again, resting doesn't make you lazy. Resting makes you human. <laughs> You're right. Amazing insights, Christina. And I would ask you here at this point, what are your thoughts on how a coach or a gym or a community can support and assist with mental health issues within their team? And I ask this because from what I see, it really looks like in the jujitsu space, most jujitsu coaches are focused on teaching the jujitsu side of things. I don't hear a lot of coaches talk about how they prep their athletes when it comes to mental health and confidence and mindset. Well, a friend of the show, Nick Perler, who runs the Perler Wrestling Academy, one of the best, if not the best wrestling programs for high school wrestlers in America, uh, he talks extensively about the importance of training mindset. We've got a whole nine-part premium series with him unpacking uh, how he does it on BJJ Mental Models Premium. And I just don't see that kind of attention to this sort of stuff within jujitsu. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Is this something that coaches could do or should do when it comes to kind of helping their team with their mental health? Or do you feel that that's an overstep? Is it best if they don't get involved? As someone who's kind of in the middle of this, I would really want to hear your perspective on where you think the coach and the team can assist in terms of helping the mental health of the people around them. I would say it would be incredibly helpful to adopt skills that would help your students. And you can take that however you want, right? A lot of the times, I won't say instructors can get outdated or coaches can get outdated, but again, let's just take just the technique, for example, technique in jujitsu. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly growing. It's getting better. There's things that are being done now that weren't being done when I was a white belt. For example, when I was a white belt, half guard was like the new shiny thing. I would say new, but it was the guard that, oh, it's just the fad. It was the 50-50 right? When 50-50 became 50-50, right? Like, oh, it's a stalling guard. It's not really a real guard. It's, it's just good to hold people in place. Like that's how half guard was viewed. It's not a real guard, right? That's what I was told when I was a white belt. Half guard is not a real guard. It's not going to last. It's just this fad. And now you fast forward and half guard is a part of almost every single fundamental curriculum around the world, at least what I've seen, right? I know I teach um, half guard in my fundamentals curriculum, and I know a lot of other high-level instructors teach half guard in their curriculum, right? So information is always evolving and changing. So as times change, if a coach wants to honestly remain relevant, but a good coach is someone who, again, they know what they know, but they're also open to learning more, right? Because the knowledge never stops. You can always learn more skills. You can always learn more jujitsu. You can always learn new ways to solve a problem. So good coaches will, anytime that there's a, a new development within the flow of technique, right? Can you think about when leg drags became popular, then barambolas became popular, then you got, you know, now you would say the leg entanglements and, and the leg lock games now, right? When I was a white belt, no one dared talk about footlocks. That was a forbidden thing, like unless you want to be called a dirty footlocker. Now it's like everybody just wants in on, on the leg entanglement stuff. So on a technical level, a good coach is always going to learn new skills to make sure that they are most up to date. They are in the know about what is going on in the world. So why wouldn't you do the same thing with the mental aspect of approaching training? Because some days it's not going to be about getting more reps. Sometimes it's going to be about evaluating where your personal values lie and within yourself and how you can tap into that to enhance your training, how to get the most out of your training, right? Knowing what kind of learner you are. You know, everyone learns differently. So being, having the skills 
like again, we're not professionals, but at least having the skills to recognize when we have students who are going through mental health crises, at least being able to recognize and see that like, hey, you know, usually this student is one way. And, you know, for the past couple of weeks, they've been this other way that's kind of out of character. Might be good to check in, again, not as a professional, but just as a way to just like show that, hey, I've noticed you. I've noticed that something is different and I want to check in because you're valuable. And it's not because you give anything to me in general. Like, okay, if you want to look at like, oh yeah, that's just a business owner trying to protect their paycheck or trying to protect, you know, the person, make sure they keep coming. But like, but if you want to be cynical about it, but no, it's protecting our students, right? Making sure that they have a reason. They know that they can come back. They know that they're in a safe place. The same way that, you know, it would be really good for a coach to have uh, first aid skills, right? That's something that anybody can do. You can go. I just actually did one last month where I did a CPR first aid, like AD course. And I've never thought to do it once before up until like I was thinking, oh, yeah, I want to get my black belt certified by the IBGGS. But then I wanted the skill course. I'm like, oh my God, this is really, really helpful information. Like so important, right? Because what if there isn't a professional nearby to provide aid? Well, at least I have these skills to make sure they stay alive until they could get to a professional. So then we think about that in the mental health aspect. I'm not a mental health professional, but if I can give just a little bit of support that hopefully that will lead to that student getting the help that they actually need and seeing a professional who can actually do more. Again, it's not about, it doesn't have to be this big grand thing where like, oh, I just, you know, want to be, I mean, I hope everybody just wants to be a good person. I hope everybody wants to be a decent human being and just want to, you know, pass on good in the world. But again, as a business owner, as a coach, it's good to have skills that help your students. And again, it, that can take so many different forms. And so, um, again, stigma or not, or I don't say benefit or not, if you want to be really good at what you do, that means getting the skills that it requires to be good at what it is that you do or being one of the best in the world. Because if you're only good at jujitsu, that's only going to be one facet of it. If you can't even communicate the jujitsu knowledge that you have in your head, that's like the big difference between like you have some who are like really high level like competitors, but they can't teach for shit because they have issues communicating. Like, how do I communicate the information that I have in my brain or that I know how to do naturally? And how do I pass it on to another person? So yes, coaches, instructors, professors, you want to add value to your space. You want to add value to your mats. You want to add value to your business. Get those skills. Get those skills, not because, again, it just makes you good at your job, but it also just makes you a good person and it makes you capable of helping the people that you want to be around every day that you're going to be around every day don't just be good at jujitsu just be a good person right and again if you have the desire to have a really strong good business and you really have the desire to be a really good coach or be a good leader you're going to get those skills you would do this in anything you would do this in any job you want to get the higher tier job or you want the better title you better do the work or the skills to to, to get there and again this isn't an expectation or a pressure or anything like that but if you aspire to it, right, then you're going to make the effort to do it. You will. And you will only benefit from it. And everybody else will benefit too. So this is one of those where it's just, it's, there you have only things to gain by adding that type of help. Again, you don't have to be a professional at it, but just have enough skills so that you can get them to a professional would be enough, I would say. Yeah. I love that point about 
how you're not expecting jujitsu coaches to become board certified psychologists or anything, right? And in fact, it's probably dangerous for jujitsu coaches to pretend that they are mental health professionals unless they actually are. But what you do want to do is make sure that as a coach, you at least have enough situational awareness of this and domain knowledge so that you can kind of identify that there may be a problem and send some people to someone who is an expert. I mean, there are a lot of mental health experts out there who can help, some of whom are actually specific to jujitsu. You know, Erin Hurley, your friend, my friend, um, guest on the podcast multiple times, she comes to mind. Uh, she does amazing work with mental health in the jujitsu space. She created the Submit the Stigma organization. Um, she also now, I know, does mental performance coaching for uh, both professionals and hobbyists in jujitsu. I have people in the BJJ Mental Models community who are customers of hers and speak very highly of her. And in fact, I mean, it's maybe a bit early to officially say this, but there's a, a very good chance that in 2024, we're going to be uh, putting together a course with Erin on our premium network. So I'm a big fan of her work. People like this do exist. And, you know, as a coach, you don't need to, again, become the domain expert. But I think that it, it really behooves you as a coach to get enough knowledge of this that you can identify when there's problems on your team and to know how to get those people qualified help. I think that's a, a great insight that you brought up there. Yeah. I know it's definitely a big push for for Aaron to have that because I know I took a course that when they had it, which was like a, essentially like um, a training course for Again, you don't have to be a coach. You could even just be a student or just be someone who goes and trains, but uh, would like to have the skills to be able to, again, provide aid when there is a mental health crisis going on. Because again, like it's the same thing. If someone is choking and they need the Heimlich maneuver, right? I'm not going to be looking around asking for a doctor. If I have the skills to save this person's life, I'm going to use those skills. We can, they can, we can worry about a doctor or a health professional. Like, I'm going to be telling someone to call 911. But right now, the thing that needs to be addressed right now is the fact that this person is suffocating and there's something lodged in their throat that needs to get out of there. Someone needs CPR. I'm not going to be asking for a doctor and waiting for a doctor to show up. I'm going to use the skills that I know to provide life-saving aid until the professional can get there. I get, these are like, I want to say exaggerated examples, you know, life or death examples, but it's relatable. You don't need to be a professional, but having decent skills to, again, recognize that there's something wrong. And even, again, just offering to listen if you have the space for it. Because again, just because you can doesn't necessarily mean you should as well. You got to think about boundaries. You got to think about where you are too. There's so many nuances to this, right? I'm never going to force a person to talk to me, even if I feel like they are in trouble or if I feel like, you know, like, oh, there might be in a crisis. I can't force anybody to do anything. Consent is a thing. So, but extending a hand or offering an ear, um, especially if you have like, being able to hold space is incredibly powerful and making people aware that it exists, that space exists for them is incredibly empowering and can be a huge relief for many. Because again, up until somebody says, hey, you know, thank you for sharing. I go through that too. We're all on our own little islands and we're all in our own heads thinking that we're all alone because that is what that is what depression does. That is what anxiety does, right? It's all in our head and that world only exists within us because it stays there. So until we actually say something, we speak out loud and we bring it to life or we bring it out into the light, 
does it exist for other people to observe? And that's the only way that other people can find you as well. So yeah, I'll say I'm asking this of the listeners, but I would say consider it. Consider getting those skills. Take a course in at least being able to recognize when someone might need help and practice some patience and some compassion. And yeah, just be a genuinely good person. To, again, because I want my students or my training partners to come back every single day. I want to see them on the mat. And again, like it's hard for maybe sometimes the students to think that of me because they're like, oh, she's so busy. Or again, like this is so easy for her. It's not easy. I had to work really, really hard for things to look as easy as they are. Right. And I just carry it well. I carry it better than most. And again, that's just a lot of how I manage my own anxiety. It's different for everybody. And I still struggle. And and I also have to ask for help. And it's incredibly hard for me to ask for help, too, especially because I am in this, you know, perceived position of power. I am on a pedestal for so many people, right? So it can be debilitating, but the moment that we talk about it, it's so, again, refreshing or a breath of fresh air and and you can feel the weight lift. And can you imagine like how you could actually be that for somebody else just by honestly asking how they're doing and honestly listening and not just looking at your idols and thinking that, oh, like they're indestructible and you know, like I put Bushido away, Samurai away, you know, or yeah, like putting the lions are, the, are over there, like be like a lion, right? Don't be a lamb or whatever. I'm like, dude, my dude, <laughs> lions go into hiding if they have a really bad wound, right? And they lick their wounds. So <laughs> don't do that. Don't do that, right? Don't crawl off into a hole and die because you have a wound that you don't want to talk about, right? Don't do that. Don't be a lion. Be a human. <laughs> be a human and use your words. Use your human words and, and your human actions. And be human. Stop being afraid of that. Just again, like we're only here for so long. We're only here for a, a very small fragment of time. We are but specks of dust in the universe. But even then, we can still have a good impact. So give yourself that grace and that kindness and that space and that compassion. To again, first it should be for yourself, and then after yourself for other people too. I saw an Instagram lion post on my feed a while back that just absolutely made me laugh because it was some guy giving like an inspirational lecture or something. He said something to the effect of, do you know why the lion is the king of the jungle? Is it because he's the biggest? No. Is it because he's the fastest? No. It's because he worked the hardest. And I'm thinking, what the the fuck are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense, first of all. And also, lions are incredibly lazy. They sleep like 16 hours a day. Like, none of this shit makes all all of this inspirational lion shit is so dumb. And as soon as you start unpacking it, you realize it's silly. But yeah, I think it's important for people to understand all of that, like, Instagram lion samurai meme shit is not reflective of how human beings actually should work. You know what it should be? Because it's always like, be a lion. It's like a male lion with the mane and everything because it looks all cool. But like, if you want to be a lion, be a lioness because they do all the work. They do all the hunting. They do all the shit. They do all the hard work. It should be a female lion on the front, right? Like, not the one. Them. Yeah. Should it be the male lion? Male lion, um, again, this isn't trying to be like a sexist thing. This is just nature thing. Like they're just there to like secure land and make sure that like, no one encroaches on like their territory and, you know, breeding rights. But that's not what jujitsu is. No one is going to be walking in. I'm here to fight the hardest for breeding rights. Like, don't be that creep. Don't be that guy. Right. And yeah, yeah. They sleep 16 hours a day. And yeah, like, don't be a lion. Be a human. Humans are much cooler. I mean, like, I love lions. I'm a Leo. Like, I get it. Right. I want to be I'm fierce. I'm strong. I'm courageous. I'm brave. But you know what? I also like my lap. I love my naps. I love napping. I love sleeping. Oh, my God. Do I love getting a good sleep in? <laughs> 
And you know what? You should too, because you're probably overworked and really tired and you probably need to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> you know, take a take some magnesium, some melatonin, uh, drink some water, hydrate and take a nap. If <laughs> you probably need it, they'll probably they'll probably give you a good, nice um physical reset so that your brain will feel better. I could probably say that a lot of the times if I'm feeling like overly, overly anxious and I feel like, oh, I just need to be productive. I need a full stop and be like, you know what? I probably just need to take a hot bubble bath and maybe get a massage instead. I probably don't need to work harder. I probably actually need to work less. And that might maybe actually help a little bit because again, the anxiety is crazy. Like it makes your nervous system, again, it's the fight or flight mode or the flight or freeze, right? And so it's, it's easy to get paralyzed by it. And, and if your thought is, I just need to do more, like, no, <laughs> maybe sit down, sip some water and get a foot rub or something because you were more likely doing too much, not not enough. <laughs> That's one other thing that you've touched on here, which I actually wanted to make sure we bring up, which is compassion and empathy. Something I want to address here because I think it's been around for a while, but it certainly feels like it's getting worse is just the amount of toxicity that public figures and competitors are exposed to in the jujitsu space is kind of uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And I know that a lot of people probably aren't thinking too hard about the implications of what they're doing when they start just trolling and talking shit to people on the internet. And I know a lot of the time too, you know, when you've got some pro competitor and you just start sending them nasty messages and telling them how much they suck, like you think that this person is just this, you know, unassailable rock and they can handle the criticism. But I would encourage people to be empathetic about that and understand that all of these jujitsu people on the internet, they're human beings too. So if there's an athlete that you have critical thoughts on, you know, if you want to criticize them, show some humanity in that, right? If you're going to go on Reddit and post a giant diatribe about how much this person sucks, like understand you're directly attacking someone and you could be directly impacting their health in a very toxic way. And I think when people launch into these like internet drama diatribes, they don't understand the potential harm that they can be causing. And I, I would encourage people to think about how they would feel from the other side of things, right? Think about how you would feel if you woke up one morning and there were a thousand people tagging you on Instagram and Reddit and talking about how much you suck and how bad you are at your job and how they hope you go away and you're never seen again, right? And a lot of people get that. A lot of competitors get that. There's so much criticism about them. And you know that people would never, ever share that kind of criticism to someone's face, right? Like you would never walk up to someone and say to their face some of the awful things that you say on the internet. But God, I look at some of the comments that my friends are subjected to and some of the guests that we've had on the podcast, and it doesn't matter how stoic you are. If this is part of your ongoing life where you wake up and you get like 10 to 20 messages like this a day, just shit talking you publicly, that is going to take a toll on someone's mental health. And so I encourage people before they post that comment to think about the humanity on the other end and think about how this interaction should look like and whether this is something you would really say in person, because it's too easy to dehumanize the other person and yourself with internet dialogue. I mean, if you really need to criticize someone, I would also suggest thinking about whether it makes more sense to do that in private. You know, if you've really got an issue with something John Thomas said, you know, maybe just DM him and just let him know in a respectful way. You don't need to post a giant thread on Reddit about how much he sucks, right? So just understand, like, there aren't any 
A-list level celebrities in jiu-jitsu. Think of the most famous jiu-jitsu person you can think of and understand they're not really actually that famous at all in the grand scheme of things, right? Your grandmother has not heard of John Danaher or Gordon Ryan. So just understand that like these are regular people. These are not ultra-rich Hollywood celebrities. It's not fair to be attacking a lot of these people the way that they get attacked. And I would just say that for the benefit of everyone's mental health, just maybe cool off a little bit before you post that comment online. Yeah, there's there are trash people in the world and there's just non, people with not enough emotional intelligence or compassion or just common sense, you know, like, you know, there's just some people who kind of come on or go out there and they're just like, that's just how I am. I'm just brutally honest. And I'm like, you're not being brutally honest. You're being an asshole. You are being mean and you're being rude. If you wanted to be give honest criticism, you can do that without insulting somebody, you know? You can critique whatever it is that you're trying to critique without questioning someone's intelligence or their ability or just straight up being mean and attacking their character. Think it through, right? Again, there's sometimes that's a big ask. That's sometimes it's a really big ask from certain people, right? There's some people who I feel like you just need to take give me that phone you have internet privileges taken away right because they're just so mean and you know like one of the things i absolutely hate is like well i'm just joking like god what you can't take a joke i'm like where's the joke if you say something and the only person laughing is you and it's at somebody else's expense uh, newsflash that's not a joke that's an insult and you're just being you're just being mean that doesn't make you funny that doesn't make you edgy that makes you an asshole so don't be that don't do that (laughs) Be nice, be kind. You know, that's the most gangster thing you can do. Like, what is it? Kindness is gangster. (laughs) Uh, Jiggy Yoon will say that. Like, kindness is gangster. You know, vulnerability is dope. You know, like, be that. Do more of that because it's too easy to be mean, I think. Well, I don't know. I have a hard time being mean to people, even when I should be. Maybe I'm a little too nice. But I feel like it's easier to be kind or it's easier to just withhold said negative comment just withhold it because that's not going to help anybody except for what you're going to give yourself a pat on the back like hey I really got them showed them how much of an idiot they are cool you feel good about yourself like that that's awesome trash right like very rarely do I speak in that way but I don't like mean people and I don't like again there's tough love there is being giving hard honesty that it needs to be heard right it may not be what a person wants to hear but it is necessary And then there's just being mean-spirited and wanting to hurt people. And that is something I absolutely do not tolerate. I will not. My friends know I don't allow for them to talk shit about themselves in front of me because I get angry. I'm like, 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 want to shake them. Like, don't you know how loved and precious you are? How dare you talk shit about yourself, right? So I can't even imagine going out of my way to talk shit to somebody, especially if I don't know them. And again, like having the anonymity did they say that right? Oh my God, it's such a tongue twister of like the internet, right? You can say whatever you want to say and you don't even have to have a face to it. And people never have to know who you are. Like that's cowardly. Like you're not a badass. You're not gangster for, you know, hiding behind a screen and, and talking shit. You're a coward and you're mean. Maybe you just need more hugs. Maybe you just didn't get enough hugs. And that's the compassion side of me. Like if you're just being mean, maybe you should just let people give you a hug every now and then. Or maybe you just need a good cry. And I'm not saying that to like make fun of you. It's like, no, maybe you just need to let yourself cry and let those emotions out because someone being that mean, there's something else going on. And and if you feel like you need to pass negativity and meanness to around the world to other people that you don't even know to make yourself feel like a tough guy or a tough person, there, there's definitely more stuff going on there. And you probably just need to let some love in and let something else out of you because that's not healthy. <laughs> Get a hug. 
get a hug, have someone hug you or tell you, you know, give you a pat on the back one day or, you know, maybe they just need more love too. That would be like my notes on that. (laughs) Well, amazing, Christina. You know, I always love having these chats. I think this was a great one. Anything that we wanted to add or touch on that you didn't get a chance to bring up here, we can maybe close this out. But if you've got any final thoughts, please do feel free to share. I don't have anything else I need to touch on. I mean, I think we felt like that. Like, I feel like I touched on things I wanted. It's like, you know, pretty nice and natural. I never have no bullet points or a list. Um, I kind of let things kind of flow. But yeah, I guess closing thoughts is like vulnerability. Like, again, as Jiggy Yoon says, vulnerability is dope. Sometimes that will be the greatest gift. Being kind, having some compassion, being patient, being empathetic and giving grace. And again, like we are all human beings, white belt or black belt. Like we all create a certain impact on the lives and the people around us. You don't have to be a black belt to do that. And again, it doesn't matter what black belt you're looking up to or what black belt is leading the room. At one point, that black belt was just where, where you are at this point. Or, you know, they were once just another face in the crowd amongst all the other white belts looking up towards the black belt, looking to the person in the middle of the room. Right? We all started there. And so, Give yourself the grace to, to grow and again, give yourself the grace to, I'll say be weak, but have your bad days, right? Know that bad days happen. If you just have sunshine all the time, nothing grows. Everything gets wilted. The earth gets scorched. You need the rain. You need it. And you have to embrace the rain sometimes. You have to embrace those storms. They will be tough. They will be uncomfortable. There are going to be times where you feel you're never going to, you're not going to make it. But if you have the right support, you have the right prep, you have the right people, you know that that's going to end. That's going, it's only temporary, you know, and we need those seasons. And so our life is always going to be in seasons, right? Nothing is going to be forever. And anxiety, again, you may struggle with anxiety for the rest of your life, but you can manage those levels over time. Um, Again, if you um, see a therapist or you get medical help, or again, you have therapeutic outlets, right? Like jujitsu is a therapeutic outlet. It's not a replacement for therapy. Talking with friends is a therapeutic outlet, but it's not a substitute for actual therapy, right? Let these things like flow, right? And again, try less. Don't try harder. (laughs) Try less. Try harder to try less. Maybe that. Do that, right? Again, you're more than likely you are overworked and overstimulated. And sometimes you just need to recognize that maybe you just need to step back and get some rest. You know, it's like, you know, oh, why are you being so mean? You know, oh, it's because you're hungry, right? Maybe you're just hungry. Maybe you just need a snack. And that could be like your comical way of looking at it. It doesn't always have to be this big, serious thing if we start managing it when it's smaller, right? If we let it build up, build up, build up, then it becomes hard to manage. So, recognize within yourself, give yourself grace, give other people grace. And always remember we're all human, even the strongest person you know, they're going to need help too. They probably need it the most because more than likely a mask of them hiding that they are in pain because they are being told that they are the strong person, the brave person, the courageous person all the time. And you know what? Sometimes they need the hug too. Sometimes they need to fall apart too. And they just need to know that it's safe to do that. Amazing. Well, Christina, thank you so much for coming by and sharing all of this. If people want to follow you or get in contact with you, how can they go about doing that? Instagram at KB Jiu-Jitsu. Um, of course, like you could you could try to do all email, Christina at KBJujitsu.com. But I usually respond as much as I can, pretty active on Instagram with my posts and uh, with my messages. I try to catch everything that goes into like the message requests and the spam inbox as well too. So sometimes I'll miss things, but I, I try to do my best. No sneaky DMs, okay? People, don't do those. Those are bad. <laughs> We don't like those, but I'm usually pretty accessible. 
I answer pretty I answer pretty much almost any question for as long as it's appropriate and respectful. And um, I like being that outlet or I like being, I guess, a resource of some sort. Like again, like I'm, I'm not a professional, but if you just need someone to listen or you just want to, again, share experiences, then um, then I'm your girl. Again, I don't always I don't always give like long responses, but um, just know that I'm standing with you and um, we stand together in solidarity. Amazing. Well, thanks again, Christina. I'll put those links in the show notes. I'll also throw in a link to some of Aaron Hurley's stuff if you're looking yes. for a yeah, yeah. I just want to make sure that she gets a shout out. If you hear this and you're thinking, man, I need a mental performance coach who specializes in jujitsu. Aaron's your girl. She's a black belt yeah. under Cobrinha. Um, she's a longtime mental health adv- advocate in the space. So I'll put a link there. Um, probably also worth saying, this isn't an official announcement yet, but uh, Aaron has agreed to do a full premium series with us on mental performance on BJJ Mental Models Premium. So I'm hoping to do that later on in the year. So that's probably coming soon there too. I guess is as good a transition as any to plug our stuff. Everything we make is on BJJMentalModels.com. Podcast is completely free. It's all up there. You can grab it there. You can load it into whatever podcast player you want or just get it off the website. You can also sign up for our newsletter. Uh, We publish a bunch of thought pieces on there that expand on what we discuss here on the podcast. Definitely recommend following that as well. Every once in a while, I also shoot out a freebie or a special deal to people who are on the newsletter to make it worth their while. So I do suggest getting it, signing up there. And of course, you can unsubscribe at any time. Beyond that, um, if you're looking to take things up to the next level, BJJ Mental Models Premium is how we float the boat around here. You can sign up from the same site, bjjmentalmodels.com. Why would you want to do that? First of all, because you get access to our massive and ever-growing catalog of jiu-jitsu audio series and premium courses. The way I like to describe it is think of masterclass, but for jiu-jitsu, we get a lot of really cool opportunities to sit down with some of the most interesting minds in the sport and unpack how they think about strategy, tactics, concepts. So if you're looking for a supplement to kind of traditional jiu-jitsu instructionals that spend less time going over like technical minutia and more talking about strategy and concepts. This is, in my opinion, the best place in the world to do that. We also offer amazing coaching services. We've got a team of over 10 world-class black belts on there. So if you're not getting enough direct feedback at your own gym, which is usually the case with most people, uh, join Premium, send us your rolling footage, and we'll get some really elite black belts to break that down for you. Um, Our coaches are are really amazing, including a lot of people you've probably heard on the podcast before, like uh, Brianna St. Marie, Dominica Oblanite, Margot Ciccarelli, Mike Mahaffey, Josh McKinney, like all of these people are on our review team. So you can get them to break down your work directly. And of course, we also have a ton of ongoing premium podcasts that we're expanding on. We've got a great podcast hosted by Emily Kwok and Joe Hannon, and another one hosted by Drew Foster. We're always looking to expand and offer as much value as we can on premium. So please do check it out if you haven't already. BJJMentalModels.com is where everything lives. And I'll put a link in the show notes so that you can just find it easier. But Christina, thanks again for coming by. I always appreciate these kinds of chats. A really, really awesome one here. I think it it shares a lot of important perspective to, for people. And if this motivates anyone to kind of seek help and and embrace their support group to improve their own situation, then I think we did good work. So thank you so much for coming by. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, and I remembered one thing, actually. If you do, since because you mentioned Aaron, uh, if you do want to catch us together in one room, uh, we're actually going to be teaching a seminar together at the end of the month in February over in New York. We're going to be teaching a gi and no gi seminar together uh, for girls and gis. So amazing organization with the Shamako 
who's uh, currently um, battling cancer. So she's an amazing like beacon for like women's jujitsu. And we're going to be teaching together in New York. So if you want to catch both of us uh, under one roof and we want to learn some technique from us, uh, Gia Nogi, it should be that last Sunday of February. I'd have to look up the actual date off the top of my head, but um, look up that up on Girls uh, girls and Geese. And uh, there should be all the information there on their website on how you can sign up for that event and um, learn some cool techniques from from both of us and feel our our chaotic, um, as someone once mentioned, it's like herding cats. Energy It's usually a lot of fun. You're going to walk away with some good information, but hopefully a lot of smiles and laughs as well, too. And we're probably going to talk about some mental health things since that's kind of like our thing <laughs> with the jujitsu. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. I'll put a link in the show notes as well to Girls and Geese. Uh, Shamako is a friend of the show. She's been on the podcast before. Like you mentioned, she's been battling health issues, and I think it's amazing that you folks are trying to help her out. So yeah, if you're in the New York area, by all means, I definitely recommend a, a seminar with Christina and Aaron Hurley. Sounds like a great deal. And you get to do some good work too to help Shama. So I'll put a link in the show notes there as well. Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Christina. Greatly appreciate it. Always love having these kinds of conversations. I, I hope this resonates with people out there. Uh, thanks for coming by. And of course, you're always welcome if you want to come by in the future. Yeah. Thank you for having me again and hope we can do it again sometime soon or whenever. <laughs> Anytime you want me, you have me. Sounds great. And thanks to the listeners too. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.